During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the King's Valley, of course. Where else would you put it? Certainly wasn't in a bad neighborhood. In the King's Valley as a monument to... See, this is, uh, this is very similar to the time that we're living in. Only pretty pastors. Only churches fit for the King's Valley. Oh, man. I mean, I'm talking some serious whitewashed wall kind of buildings. With Roman pillars and giant steeples and giant stages. The only thing bigger than the majesty of the building is the ego of the man standing on the stage. It's like we watched Field of Dreams instead of read our Bibles. If we build it, they will come. Yes, but who will they be? During his lifetime, Absalom had taken a pillar and erected it in the King's Valley as a monument to himself. You can advance it. For he thought, I have no sons to carry on the memory of my name. You know, you can go still see that pillar. It's still there. As a giant monument to a man who physically did have sons. But his ego left them like orphans. What good does it do to draw a crowd of 5,000 people if you don't have 500 legitimate sons among them? We are aiming at one thing and one thing only. There's a monument right next to this one. It's to righteous Zechariah, a man who raised up an actual son that was like the son of God. They killed him in the portico. There's a monument right next to it. One's not all that pretty and the other is. One doesn't stand all that tall and the other does. It's almost like a modern parable. We need to learn to apprise the thing that God values. He doesn't value the packaging. He doesn't value the popularity. He values men who lay down their lives for the advancement of others. And you can't say you're doing that if people are not surpassing you. You need to be a step that they can climb over, helping them to go higher. As long as you're the highest man in the room, you're not succeeding. This is why Barnabas was the example. The crowd could see that he was Zeus, but Paul was the chief speaker who they called Hermes. The king of the gods and the speaker. We want to push others forward. We want them to see that God makes them more capable than they thought they were. We want them to see that nobody leads by their great talent in the actual kingdom. That's the carnival kingdom. That we lead by a supernatural anointing that takes us beyond ourselves. Is that what y'all want? Stretch forward your hands and let's pray for Justin Johnson. Pastor Zeke, would you pray for Justin Johnson? Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, 
Lord, we come before you with hearts prepared. And we thank you now, mighty God, that your spirit is anointing this man's lips and his heart. Lord, he will declare the very words of God and we will receive them as such. Father, anoint him, give him confidence and boldness, Lord, and let your words flow through his mouth to feed this body, Father. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Man, how is everybody? How many of you love Jesus this morning? Saints. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Amen, amen, amen. I got to tell you, uh, you, you guys are, this is all really radical. <clears throat> In case you didn't know that, right? You might be thinking that this is radical. This is uh and it is, it is. It's radical to say the things that are being said, to worship the way we worship. Uh, it is radical. And it should be radical, right? I mean, it, it, it should be something, I'm just encouraging you, this shouldn't be abnormal. This should be the standard, right? Because it pushes you into the presence of God. Your flesh doesn't want to go there. How many of you know that? Your flesh doesn't want to be there. But your spirit man's got to be close to the king of kings. Amen. And, and this is what propels you. It's, it's something radical that goes against your sin nature, your understanding. And you're like, well, I'm saved. I don't have, I don't, I don't have those thoughts. Yes, you do. Come on. You need that brother or sister sitting next to you, praising God and worshiping with everything in them. Everything singing to the top of their lungs. Because you need a radical walk with the Lord. You have to have it. And I want to encourage you this morning, saints, that if you don't have this mindset, you will not make it in the kingdom. You won't. If you don't accept the radical things as normal things, you won't make it. And I'm not, this isn't a bad message. This is an encouraging message, by the way. That came across a little harsh. I'm just telling you, don't let your flesh lie to you this morning and say, well, they're a little radical. No, not at all. We're in love with Jesus. If it takes to be radical just to make it, how much more radical does it take to win? Right? I mean, that's the idea. We should be pushing past radical. And by radical, I don't mean silly and running around and rolling on the floor. I'm talking about radical in our pursuit for truth. That's it for the Word of God and it being demonstrated in every action of our life. Amen? Now listen, I know this radical lifestyle is hard. And if you've said and if you've thought that this, anything that's been shared, maybe you think the tank tops are radical. Stop thinking that. They're not. They're not radical. They're awesome. They're awesome. Because the point is, is that we're going to be all things to all men so that we might win a few. Right? That's a radical thought. If the, if the, the religious, if you will, have hijacked religi- religious, our Christianity, with shirt ties and gold hats and whatever else, silliness, then we're going to take it back with tank tops. Amen? Right? Nothing prim, nothing proper. We're going to take it back with, with, with letting our bodies show 
the scars of obedience. Amen? And that's radical. Your body doesn't want scars on it. Your body doesn't want broken bones, broken pain. Your, your body doesn't want that. But you've got to break that flesh to accomplish the will of God. And listen, that's tough. You need something radical to push you to that. That's what spurring on one another is all about. That's it. That's what this association, that's what we do. That's what we want. That's what I appreciate tremendously in all of my brothers. Uh, and, and Eric is going to kill me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but could we just give the entire life-changing ministries, pastors, staff, elders, could y'all give them a shout? I know we don't want praise. I mean, from the sound team, that's right. You talk about being spurred on. All right, take it easy. Sit down. Jeez whiz. Sorry, I didn't know that would happen. Easy. That was more than we gave Jesus. Easy, easy, easy. I'm trying to spur y'all on into righteousness. That's all. We want to encourage our brothers, not lift them up over the king of kings. No, but I love being spurred on in the manner in which the, uh, these men that have God set before us has, have spurred us on. And I, and I just encourage you this morning, don't be offended by it. I mean, I actually do be offended by it. Your flesh should be very offended by it, but embrace it, right? Stand on it and say, that's right, flesh, take it, take it. I'm going to be spurred on into righteousness. I'm going to do that. And listen, we know... Why, why do, we, why do you need this? I'll tell you why. Because your flesh is stubborn, hard-headed. It, it, it always wants to go back to that pigsty. It always wants to return to that vomit. And you're like, oh, no, uh, I don't like vomit. But yet, yet how many times... <laughs> that, the word is really descriptive. It's awesome that way. How many times, though, have you returned to some vomit in your life? Right? That's exactly what it is, and don't think anything differently, please. Because spiritually, when you've tasted of the Lord's goodness and you go back to some worldly garbage, it's vomit. I'm going to just tell you that. And it's amazing because your flesh wants to go back to it. You need someone to spur you on. You need something to spur you on. You need something that pushes you into the throne room, that gets you away from that disgusting mess that God saved you from. That's what this is about. So, so be offended, please. But know that the idea is that we get closer to the Father in every aspect of our life. And it should go forth from here. And it's going to go out wherever you, wherever you live, wherever you hail from, over in Indonesia, south of the border, in, in, uh, uh, in Chavai. Amen? In, in your home, wherever God has you, in Chi-town. Amen? In, in Chicago, in New Life, where Pastor Treaster, they're doing something awesome, right? In Denton, Texas. In Denham Springs, Louisiana. Amen. 
It's going to go out, and it, the idea is that you go and you spur someone on. You go be radical somewhere, wherever God puts you, in the grocery store, wherever it is, because this is what the world needs. It's the only thing that will save them. It's the only thing that, that exposes the lies of the enemy is you being radical. It's not you being complacent. It doesn't work. The, the, Christianity is being turned into just one big complacent nothing. I want you to encourage you this morning. God has given you the ability because that is somewhat a daunting task to say, hey, look, pastor, you don't know my situation. You, know, you don't know my education, my, my grade level of, of, of what I graduated from, my finances, my abilities. I don't have any abilities. That's exactly where God wants you. Amen? That's exactly where God wants you. That's a beautiful place to be a radical because you don't have anything. Right? It's a radical thought for you just to be a, a, an old fisherman that God would call out to lead the nations to the throne room. That's a radical thought. But that's exactly what God's called you to do. God doesn't care about any of that stuff. But it is, it's easy to dwell in your weakness. It's easy for you to recognize your weakness. And, and sometimes we need to be pushed. Uh, sometimes when we face circumstances that seem insurmountable, like building a building, right? That the permit office just seems just bent on not letting you do anything that you want to do for the Lord. It's, on daunt- it's a daunting task when you don't have the finances. I mean, like none, no finances, right? And the Lord said, do this, and it takes lots of finances, right, Brother Brent? That's, I mean, that was the, that Pastor Brent, that was the idea that he's like, hey, you're going. Yeah, but I need money to go. I, unless you fly me over by your spirit, I'm going to need some cash, Lord, Right? <laughs> I mean, the Lord asked and put in his heart a really seemingly impossible thing. That's daunting when you face impossible tasks. How many of you know it to be true? I mean, that's it. But see, it takes something radical and something extreme, if you will, but really it's not. It's, it should be normal Christianity to believe that God, what God says is going to happen, and it will happen. And that is the faith walk. Amen? And, and listen, when we, when we encounter things in life, you know, the Lord has given us a few things uh, whenever you encounter situations that, uh, that you know, like, has anybody ever been in a, a, a situation where your adrenaline kicks in, right? Fight or flight. We think we're, I'd fight, but most of us would flight, right? I mean, that's the idea. I mean, we think like, oh, no, I'd fight, but half the time our legs kick in and the adrenaline kicks in and it saves us or it, it, it stands up. But that that adrenaline is something extra, wouldn't you say? Like if a Rottweiler ran in here, it takes some adrenaline to tackle it, right? I mean, he wouldn't just be like, oh, I'll just go run and put myself in harm's way. No, you got to like get something extra that forces your flesh to do something that seems really abnormal. How about this? But, but it does work. Uh, and adrenaline is really incredible. Uh, how many mamas we got? Raise your hand if you got a baby, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick, pick, pick this mom right here. What if, there's no tricks, no tricks. If I took your two, three children, three children, right? Took your three babies. Y'all all have so many babies. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. We need a suite, another whole room this size for our children. If I took your three beautiful children and I placed them in a room and let a bear in there with them. 
Are you going to go run in there that, with that bear? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. She said, I'm a lion. I will. I win, right? Exactly. She would run in and she would attack that bear. Little frail, little frail woman. Awesome woman of God, courageous, right? Don't you know, mamas, is it true? Would you run in and get that bear? Is there any mama in here that'd be like, well, I mean, I don't know. I just, that's a big bear. (laughs) Preposterous thought, right? No woman would say that. No woman would be like, well, I mean, I got, I do have a lot of them. So, I mean, it, it might run through your mind for a brief, no, I'm kidding. It's a terrible joke. Sorry. Children, erase that from your memory. That's not true. But no, no one would say, no, I, I wouldn't do it. My, you know, my kids, you know, build character or something silly. No, you wouldn't at all. You would run in there. And that's stupid. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Why? Because it's certain death. It's certain death. But you would still do it. You'd still do it. Wouldn't it be preposterous if someone said, well, that was real radical of that mother. Wouldn't that be dumb? But yet the church does exactly that. When, when men and women walk in faith, that's what faith looks like. It looks like looking at the bear, the Goliath, the situation, the no, the turmoil, and running after it when you don't have any business. Is that radical? That's normal. It is radical, but it, it, it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be our thought. It should be normal, right? It's not hype. What, ladies, would it be hype to be like, oh, God, i got to get myself psyched up for this. <sighs> Gatorade. All right, I'm coming, darling. Roll, roll, or whatever. Over there stretching. No, you just go at it. You would just do it. It would, it would, it would go past your understanding. See, adrenaline can change the circumstance in your mind. But adrenaline can't necessarily change the circumstance. See, that's where adrenaline in our flesh falls short. And, and that story that Pastor Eric told about the, the, the soldiers being propelled forward, in, inadequate though they were, knowing that what they were doing was giving their life for those guys behind them. How do you do that? How do you march to your death knowing that it's, it's certain death? Well, it's, it's adrenaline. I mean, it's, it's knowing that I have to do this for the greater good or whatever. And those guys, they needed that extra push. I mean, you can imagine. I mean, they knew it would, the odds were stacked against them. Would they have just a handful of bullets and... They had to save their ammo. They knew that they were just going to go in. And and they knew that they were going to sacrifice their lives. And and when I'm thinking about that, I mean, that should be our mentality. But that's tough to do that. And, And what it should put each one of us in, a position this morning. It should put you in a position to recognize that your ability and your ability to understand is limited to what God's called you to do. You can do some things, and it might change your, your, your recognition of the circumstance mentally, 
But you need something else that will change the circumstance as you walk in faith. And God does give you something else. He gives you something extra, extra to be able to lay your life down for that person behind you, right? For that person next to you, for that person in the grocery store, for that person that, 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 that in-laws. Can I get an amen, right? For your, for your brothers and your, your family members. For God has given you something that exceeds your understanding so that you are able to walk in obedience. But I'm telling you, it's radical. And we need to dismiss that thought and not think it's radical, but say, Lord, it's normal and I need it. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And it's God's one thing. I know you've heard this. We've got some awesome teachers. I'm not giving you anything new. I'm, again, I'm spurring you on. But God, his essence, it's his, in the Old Testament, it's called the Ruach. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, Ruach. I hope y'all brush your teeth because that's a morning breath Ruach right there. It's the Ruach of God. For all of you students in here or most everybody in this room knows this, Ruach means breath. The word itself is Ruach. It's breathy. But it doesn't just signify breath. It means a lot of things. It means God's presence, his essence, his aroma, his fragrance, his being. It's everything that God is. His ruach is the expression of his very presence. Amen? This is that extra, extra that God pours out. It's, he pours out himself so that you can do the impossible with your flesh what the enemy tries to prevent you from, God gives you his ruach. And it bypasses not just your understanding, but what we need to believe this morning is it bypasses the circumstance that we're in. Because you have to get over that circumstance to make a way for your brother, for the generation behind you, for the son, the daughter, the, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the praise and worship leader, the, the couple behind you that, is, that needs a pathway to be made. It doesn't make sense. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't. But God's given you the ability. He has breathed his Ruach Elohim, his Ruach Adonai, his Ruach Achodesh into your life. All of, those, all of those things are characteristics of God's spirit and how they interact with you. But you've got to take it on and say, God, I, I, wanna, I want that in my life. Not for anything other than it propels me to go attack the bear and to take it down so that I can save those that are behind me. Amen? And look, if you don't have that mentality, this will be a radical thought. This is all too much. And it's because you don't want to die to that flesh. I want to die to my flesh this morning. How about you? How about you? Y'all turn to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to give you three instances of this Ruach in the Old Testament. See, we think of God's spirit or his Ruach as simply a New Testament phenomenon. And I want to tell you that it is not. God's Spirit has been since the beginning. Tell me when you're in Genesis 1. Did I ever tell you thank you for that, Pastor Massey? I appreciate it so much. Are you on Genesis 1? 
Jesus, Jesus. In the beginning, 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the, what does your Bible say? Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That is the Ruach. That was God's presence. It was Him there. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. That's it right there. God's presence controlled the elements of the earth in the first few verses of the Bible. Controlled the elements, separated light and darkness, and then we all know the rest. Creation began. But my point about this is that this is the Ruach. This is His Spirit. It's in the very beginning of the Bible. And it's one of the most powerful demonstrations of God's Ruach. It's controlling the very nature and the elements of the earth. The elements that you're sitting in in the chair. The the air that you breathe. The light that you see. All of these things, God's Spirit at the very beginning controlled those things. And He said, let there be light. And there was light. And darkness fled away. And then God, with his power of his word and by his spirit, he began to manipulate all of the natural elements. God's ruach, his power. Amen? Amen. That's that's something that we say, oh yeah, God created the heavens and the earth. It was his presence and his essence that came in and the elements had to obey. Amen? Amen. I want you to keep that in mind. Turn to uh, one more scripture, uh, two more, and turn to Judges chapter 3. Amen. My Bible's big. <laughs> Can't multitask with this Bible and this uh, microphone. Some when you're in Judges. Amen. Judges chapter 3, verse 7 says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. They returned to some vomit. Yeah. Verse 8 says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Kushan Rishataim, king of Aram Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for for eight years. That's not a very greasy grace gospel right there, is it? But look at verse 9. But when they cried out to the Lord, somebody say cried out. out. He raised up for them a deliverer. Othnael, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. Verse 10 says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge. And what did he do, saints? He went to war. The Lord gave Kushan Rashatim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. And dig this in verse 11. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. A couple of points there. God's Ruach manipulated the spiritual realm. I'm sorry, uh, the natural realm. Man's mind. Man's inability. God's Spirit came upon Othniel. And he overcame not just an evil king, but an evil, evil king. Right? That's what his name means, right? 
It wasn't just bad. The king wasn't just evil. He was evil, evil. How many of you come up against some evil, evil situations, right? You're like, come on, Lord, that was evil. But this is evil, evil. You need God's ruach. You need that. How many of you, has the Lord's put in your life, don't raise your hands. <laughs> the Lord's put some people in your life, and it's, it's, it's hard to die, die for them. Some people it's easier to die for. I, it got quiet, I know. So you don't, you don't get to pick and choose about that. Sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to love. Just know that it was difficult for you to be loved as well. It's, it's not easy for anybody to give their life for anybody. You're commanded to do it. See, it, it has to go past this natural understanding because it's never going to be fair. It's never going to be easy. Is it? It's never easy. The faith walk is always radical. Let's stop saying it's radical. Let's just say it's normal, right? And let's say, God, that ruach, I need it so that I can destroy the evil, evil. And God's ruach, he changes the situation and the circumstance. He changes the will of men. Amen? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 very quickly. Saints, I apologize in advance. There are no clocks around here. I don't. That looks like a time bomb. What is that? Is this an episode of 24? What is this? What is that? Is that the? Yeah. I've got 25 minutes to crack the case or whatever. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. tempted to read the whole thing, but I don't, I'm not. Look in verse 15. Look at verse 14. Look in verse 4. No, look in verse 14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Huh? An evil spirit from the Lord? Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our, God, let our Lord God command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play a harp. He didn't just know how to play a harp. He knew how to walk in God's presence. He knew how to walk in a radical manner. He said, go find me a guy with a tank top. Tank top and a big beard. Who doesn't give a damn? Right? Right? And don't, don't let that be a radical statement. That should be a normal statement. I mean, that, that's what I'm saying. That, that's what it takes for God to deliver you. That's what it takes. It takes that mentality. He is a brave man and a, what does your Bible say? Warrior. Come on, saints. What does your Bible say? Warrior. Warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. 
and the Lord is with him. Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a loaded donkey, a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul, entered his service. Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Look at verse 23. Whenever the Spirit of God, whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief, somebody say relief, would come to Saul. He'd feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Now, People get hung up on this scripture. I, I, I see it very clearly. God's presence does not take a, a second fiddle or a back seat to the spiritual realm of this world. God's presence in his spirit is in control of everything, saints. The elements, your natural thought process and the situation that you're in, the spiritual realm of this world. God's presence has been demonstrating that he is who he says he is from the very beginning. There's over 400 references in the Old Testament alone of God's ruach moving in humanity. And at every time that the Lord moves, it is controlling the elements, controlling the situation that men find themselves in, controlling the enemy. He is doing things for those who walk in obedience. And by his ruach, He is able to do all of those things. That is not a radical concept. Your flesh thinks that that is a radical thought. Well, I know God does miracles. Really? Do you know that he manipulates the cells? Do you know that he manipulates? He has the ability, his power, and his spirit can move and intervene in that physical body, in that sickness, in that to the point where whenever something happens, the first thing that you cry out to is, Abba, Father, I need you and nothing else. Or does your mind say, no, we've got to call a doctor. I don't have anything against doctors. I don't look for anybody gets like, well, does he mean no more doctors? No. I just mean, where does your mind go? Is your mind normalized to the thought that you call 911 first and then pray on the way, right? Right? I mean, mean, this is, and people get upset. Don't, don't, or do, I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, listen. (laughs) Your your flesh wants to submit to fleshly things. God's ruach does not. God's spirit refuses You can either get on board with his ruach or not. But for me, I want to be on board with his ruach. Amen? I want his spirit to manipulate the elements, the light, the darkness. Everywhere I put my foot, I want the presence of God surrounding me. Because I can't fight battles the way his presence can fight battles. I am am lacking completely. I'm a broken vessel. I don't have anything to give. And that's where God wants me because then I have to rely on him completely. Not my adrenaline, not my abilities. To heck with that. I'm sorry, to hell with that. Excuse me for my my inappropriate speech. Hell, to hell with that. That's right. (laughs) It shouldn't be a radical thought. 
You have to have God manipulating the circumstance because he asks you to do impossible things. He asks you to lay your life down for that one that's behind you and to do that properly, to raise your sons up properly, to raise your your young daughters up properly. You've got to die to all those things that you don't want them to be consumed by. You have to walk in obedience Not just hear the words, not just read it to them for God's sakes. You have to demonstrate it. You have to do it in every aspect of your life. And it's it's impossible in your understanding and my understanding. That's why we have to have the God that can manipulate everything in this realm that we live in. And that should not be a second thought. That should be your first thought in the kingdom. And that's that's what Christianity is all about. It's never changed. How many of you know what Hebrews uh, 13.8, what does it say? Anybody? How did I know Ben Ben would know that? Yeah. Yell that again, brother. Right, right. So if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one that was from the beginning, the one that was there when the Ruach hovered over the waters of the deep, then... What are we thinking about some situations in our life? If Jesus has never changed, God has never changed. So that means his ruach is the same right now. Is that, is that true? And, and, and what I mean is the ruach of God has not changed. So the ruach that changed the light and the darkness and that began to create everything that we, we experience, it's the same right now as it was then, yes or no? The same Ruach that allowed the Othniel to, to, to rise up against evil, evil, take it on, choke it out, and live at peace. That same Ruach is the same right now. It is or it isn't, right? That Ruach that manipulated the spiritual realm that the enemy couldn't control it whatsoever. And the, 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 that, that same Ruach, that Spirit of God, that brought peace whenever God's word was administered, whenever God's presence was there, it's the same Ruach right now that it was then, right? In every single scenario. Now, I know we all know this, but what what I'd like to challenge you for the rest of the time that we're together, could we die to every thought in our mind that doesn't say Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And can we die to it in our thoughts? And could we worship like Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Could we speak to one another? Could we pray? Could we ask of God's Ruach, the same Ruach that changed the elements, the same Ruach that empowers men to do the impossible, the same Ruach of God that crushes the head of the enemy? Could we ask for that same Ruach in our life and for it to be very evident? Amen. We have to. The world depends on it. And man, that's, that's, that's what makes the impossible absolutely possible. See, God's Ruach does something different than the adrenaline. God's Ruach not only changes the ability for your mind to believe, but it forces the circumstance to believe. Yeah. Right? It forces the elements. You're like, well, man, this isn't the matrix. Listen, listen I, I, this is not, I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that your faith has to be expressed. It can't just be believed. It can't just be understood. 
That's what your adrenaline does. That's what your smart, your, your brain does. God's ruach goes past that. God's called you to walk and demonstrate his ruach in the same way that he has from the very beginning. You're an extension of that, right? Look real quick in Joshua chapter 3. Tell me when you're there. Joshua chapter 3. Verse 1 says, early in the morning. Look at your neighbor and say, early in the morning. morning. Kind of frustrates me that that's so often in the Word of God. (laughs) Why never late at night? Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from a place that we can all read and went to the Jordan. We've already said enough words. Uh, (laughs) Where they camped before before crossing over. Verse 2, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it. You are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Verse 9 says, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and those Jebusites. Those Jebusites. Verse 11, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan. What does it say? Ahead of you. Verse 12, now then. Choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, in case you're wondering, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. I know I, we read a lot. I, I always read a lot uh, whenever we're reading. I, don't, I just like to read it, uh, a whole bunch of it. But this, let's, let's think about the situation that we're in. And I think some of us could relate to this situation. It's exactly what we're talking about this morning. God led his people, the Israelites, to a place that was uh, impassable. It was a river, the Jordan. But the Jordan was in a unique stage at this time, and everyone here knows this. What was the, uh, the Jordan at the time? Anybody? It was flooded, right? It was flooded. It was flood stage. It was, it was harvest season, so they would, they would dam the Jordan up 
quite possibly and uh, in the rain season so they'd be able to have enough water for their crops. So it was like the most inopportune time for God to ask the Israelites to get from point A to point B. Uh, Lord, why can't you wait till it's like a, a little small canal we can build a bridge over? Could you wait for a different season? And, and the Lord said, no, my word said, do this. And what should the response be? Yes. And what's the other word for, and make it so let it be. So be it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. It's yes. And so be it. Right. Not, but how many of you have come to that Jordan river and you're like, Lord, could we wait? Could we hold up? It's kind of not the best time for me, right? I think in our ministry, I think the people that God puts in our life, sometimes we, we, we our flesh dares to have that thought. Like, well, it's kind of inconvenient for me to, to be that example in this moment. It's kind of inconvenient for me to die to my flesh and lift my brother up or to walk this path out for my brother and my sister. It's inconvenient. The Lord says, hey, I, it, I'm, I'm not worried about what's convenient for you. I've got a plan and a purpose. I need obedience. Amen? I need to get my promises from one place to the other because lives depend on it. And that is not a radical thought. It's the same today in Christianity. Lives depend on your obedience. Right? This, it's not a radical thought, man. That's Christianity. But it's tough. That river waters are high. But look what the Lord said. He said to the priest, Go and take my promises, the ark, and go up to the edge of the problem and put your little pinky toe in it. Go test it out. See how deep it is. See if it's like running waters. There might be alligators. No. He said, Go and take the ark and put your feet in it. Right? He said, Go get up. Go get in there. But Lord, it's deep. But Lord, I just, I, that's, I don't, I don't want to get in the water. I got a big ark. I got this big, I, I, they didn't do that. They went up right to the, to the edge of the water and they put their feet in it. And what happened to the circumstance? See, God's presence got inserted right into the bad circumstance. But this is, I just want you to think about this. The Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence resided, His Ruach Elohim, His Ruach Adonai, was there in that Ark. It was there. It represented God's presence was was with the Israelites. We all know that, right? It was with them. That's why they carried it around with them. The Lord God was with them. He went before them. It was a cloud by uh, by day and a fire by night. The Lord's presence was there. But why, whenever they got to the water... Did God's, why didn't the water just part? Why did God's ruach have to be injected into the scenario? Because God requires obedience for his will to be done. Do you see how important it is for you to understand that God needs you to walk in his ruach? His ruach is what it is. His spirit is, it is what it is. We already know what it is. But his ruach doesn't, Put the, the issue or the problem in a big heap and move it away until you demonstrate his ruach into the scenario and the situation. And that's a radical thing. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's never in a right season. It's never a good time for you to put God's spirit in the situation. But that's what you are for. That's what you are to do. See, too many times in Christianity... 
We just marvel at the fact that God's presence is there. It's there in the ark. It was with the people. The people were carrying it around. They were just looking at it. They were just in awe. Like, yeah, we got the presence of God. We are awesome. But until they went and put their feet in the water with God's presence, the waters were still flooded. You know what I'm saying? They didn't just, it would be, can you imagine when they got to the waters and the priests brought the presence of God to the waters and then they stood in the waters and the water began to gel up and move and begin to pile up? I imagine they could see it. I imagine the, the, the Mississippi piling up somewhere. Holy smokes. Can you imagine? You see a big pileup of water and it just stops. Can you imagine when the people saw that? They were in, a, I presume, a big line. I mean, I don't know how far he widened it out, but if it was a big mass of people, that's how I picture it. Can you imagine being in the back? I mean, you'd see it like, oh, oh. The ark got, they put it in the water, and the water split on both sides. It gelled up, and it, it, they got pushed back into a heap and a ball. And I bet you they started rejoicing. Can you imagine? What do you think the experience was? Where they're like, oh, cool, look at that. <laughs> Would you look at that? Man, God is so good. So good. So awesome. Don't you think there was some shouting and rejoicing? Now, now what if, just imagine for a moment, that even if they shouted and rejoiced, what if they just sat there and made a monument to how great God is? What if they just sat there and cheered, cheered? And they have the presence of God. Imagine if they did that. Saints, Christians do it today all the time. God should be cheered, but that's not where it stops. That doesn't make the way for that person behind you. Stopping and marveling at God's presence doesn't cut it. God asks you to go further. He has more for you to do than to cheer Him on. Quite frankly, He doesn't need to be cheered on. He needs obedience. He needs for you and I to take his presence and put it right in the situation. And not to sit there and clap and ooh and ah and rah-rah about it and build big churches and, and, and spit-shine the ark and make it nice and pretty. He doesn't need that. He needs you to put it in the situation because it's important that his people get to the place that God wants them to be. Right? It's very important that you understand that, that to get to that place it makes a path for others to go behind you, right? But the, God's always going to ask you to go further, and this is the radical thought. He's always going to ask you to go further in this kingdom for his purpose. Please don't ever think like, well, I'm good, I'm good. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're good or not. It, it matters if you're there where God wants you, amen? That's all that matters. And, and the task at hand is just like the Israelites right now. Think about it. What if we go further? What if we say the people, they look and they're like, hey, it works. Let's go through. Imagine just for a minute what that riverbed looked like. I mean, how many of you have walked in a riverbed before? I have. Uh, In Louisiana, we have lots of swamps. Unfortunately, I went pig hunting in the swamps one time. That doesn't bode well for fat people. I mean, that doesn't. In some places. I was with two brothers of mine. Jeremy and Cameron, who are part Indian or tracker or something. I don't know what they are. They're running 
through the woods, and I have also big hip boot, boot, boot waiter things on, and they're tracking these pigs like it matters. It doesn't matter. I mean, we're, you shouldn't run. You can go buy pork in the store. We shouldn't have to, like, <laughs> run after wild pigs. But they are running through the swamps of Louisiana, which I don't know if you've ever seen the swamps of Louisiana. It's like black water. You can't see anything. I was like, wait, did we check this water out before we're running through it? There could be things in there that... And I've run through there before, and the last time I was there with them, the first and last time that I'll ever do it, we're running, and these brothers, and I'm like, just go. I don't really care. We're out in the middle of nowhere, nowhere. You can't see anything, just trees, bushes, swamp. And we're running, and all of a sudden, the ground just turns to mush, right? And I went down in the ground to, like, my hip, and immediately it stops you dead in your tracks, literally. And once you get stuck in it, you can't get out of it. I mean, it's, and it's a humbling thing, right? To be like, uh, guys, time out, time out. I'm stuck. And they look back at me like, God, fat boy, Jesus. I was all sweaty. I sweat all of my waiters. Anyway. <laughs> And what's embarrassing is when they can't pull you out either. That's another thing. That's... But that's a, that's a terrible place for God to call you to go. Again, the Israelites had to walk through. It was wonderfully miraculous, but they knew. I mean, think about you got your baby. You got carts. You've got all of these things with you. You've got your bags, and you've got to go walk through some marsh, in essence. You've got to go walk through... I mean, the, the miraculous thing that the Lord did is fantastic. But now you've got to go walk out in what God called you to do because you've got to get to the other side. Yeah. See, God asks you to do more. He'll do the miracle. He'll do it. But you've got to put God's spirit in that place so it makes a path. And then you've got to walk. Then you've got to go. And you have to say, look, in faith, I, I've got to. And listen, you think like, well, I saw him do the river thing, so I'll totally believe it. Yeah, until you get up to the place and you're like, whoa, I got babies. I got to be real careful. I got to, I got to make sure I take care of what's mine. If you have that mentality, see, that's, that's a normal thought. It's a radical thought. I uh, think uh, uh, babies and all going babies get out there because our father has already said, this is where we're supposed to go. Right. It, our God will take care of us. He'll do this. That's the mentality. That's not a radical thought. And see, when the people went out, it says that they walked on dry ground, and that's a big thing. It says that they walked on dry ground to the other side, and they realized that the ground that they were walking on in the riverbed was also dry. See, God, His Ruach, when His presence was there, His Spirit, when it was injected into the situation in obedience, then God took care of everything, but the people still had to walk further in obedience. What verse did I stop on? 13, y'all are so awesome. Look at verse 13. And as soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in the heat. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead. Now the Jordan was at flood stage. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. 
It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabath was completely cut off. Look at your neighbor and say completely cut off. And make no mistake, when God's spirit is injected, the enemy is completely cut off. Absolutely completely. The Lord doesn't halfway do anything. We halfway do stuff. The Lord does not. It should be, the thought should be, the, the Lord does this, and I believe, and he'll take care of everything. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Look at verse 17. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed onto dry land. So verse 4, when you see God speak, or when you hear God speak, you need to move. Verse 5, Joshua said, consecrate yourself. Consecrate means you set yourself apart for what God's called you to do, for a holy purpose, for God's ruach to move in the situation. How many of you know sometimes that takes some spurring on by a brother and sister? That takes some alone time with the word because you've got to get yourself ready for the holy purpose that God has for you. In verse 6, they said, Joshua said the priesthood would go before the people. Amen? Remember that. Verse 7, it was Moses, then Joshua, then the people. If you look back at verse 7, he said, I, Moses started this. Joshua, you're going to do this. I'm going to lift you up. And the people are going to follow you. Look at the progression. That progression has not changed. That, that understanding of what Moses did, what our forefathers did, what that brother or sister, that pastor, that spiritual uh, uh, person that God put in your life that spurred you on, they're there for you to do the same for the person behind you so that they can get from point A to point B. So that the problem, whatever they're facing, can be piled up in a heap when God's presence is injected into the situation. It doesn't work any other way. And it requires each person in this room to walk in obedience. Amen? Uh, look, in, look in chapter 14, uh, chapter 4, excuse me. Verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the what place? Middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you're staying tonight. Verse 4 says, So Joshua called together the twelve men he appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone. Where? On his shoulder. Take up a stone on your shoulder according to the number of tribes of Israel to serve as a sign among you. Now see, it wasn't enough. I just encourage you. When you say, well, I've done so much and I've, I have just pressed in and pressed in and I have done this and done that. I'm telling you right now, the Lord, He's going to continue to ask for more until you're at the place where He wants you to be. And you're like, well, that's hard. I know that's why you need his ruach to propel you forward, right? That's why you need his presence in every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. Because your flesh will want to at some point either make a monument to the ark in the presence of God, recognize it and ooh and ah about it, or 
celebrate the fact that, oh, I'm walking through it. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, man, look at what God's doing. It's awesome. And we got to the other side. This is awesome. Let's make a place here and set up monuments and and just hang out here. And God said, wait, I, I got something else for you to do. I want you to go back to the problem area, the big problem area that I just said. Go back, and I want you to take a stone, and I want you to put it on your shoulder, which seems to signify that it was a big stone, right? And I want you to go and bring it, and I'm, we're going to make a monument. And you say, well, that's, that's odd. That seems a little over the top, Lord. We're here at the place. Why do I have to go back? Because the Lord wants a sign, a testimony of your obedience. He wants that sacrifice. He wants you to understand what He's saving you from. And for you to go and grab hold of it, not just get through it, but he wants you to conquer it. He wants you to take that thing that tried to kill you and take it and put it on your shoulder and say, "Ah, I'm taking this and I'm going to go and I'm going to let everybody see the victory. We got the Lord made the dry bed. Nobody can get those rocks. Why? Because they'd have to dive down and swim up with a big rock. Only God can do that impossible. And God wanted everybody to know that he did, some, he did something impossible, and he did it through those men. And he said, go back, right? So it's not just, not only does God ask you to take his presence, put into the situation, then walk in obedience, but he also wants you to proclaim that testimony of his ruach in your life and, and proclaim it for everyone to see. And that's not easy. It wasn't easy to go back to the riverbed where death was, go grab a big rock, Walk it back to the place where God had just placed you and saved you from and put it on the ground. That wasn't easy. But God had a point, And let's see what the point was. Verse 6, he says, in the future when you're, who asks? When your sons and daughters. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel for how long? Forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and right now in this room. He's the same. He's asking you and I to do the exact same thing that he asked the Israelites to do. And the type and the shadow and what the analogy is, it's no different now in your life than it was for the Israelites. I encourage you. I implore you. Have God's ruach in your life to be utilized for obedience, not to be clapped and and feel good about yourself. Look, you all all have a, a, a measure. You all have a portion of God's spirit. But that's not enough. God said, take that portion and put it into action so that my obedience, by obedience, your faith can be materialized in the natural. See, this is not some just ethereal thought that just floats around. Well, I have faith. Faith is not thought of. It's faith is done. Faith is walking through certain death. It's not marveling at the miraculous. It's not only marveling at the miraculous. I'm not saying we don't marvel at miracles. Of course, I would be marveling at the river parting. Trust me. I'd be in awe of it, right? But it's not just that. It's taking God's spirit in every situation, not just the hyped up ones, right? Not just the ones like this where it's easy. I'm talking about when when the Lord asks you to give when you don't have it. I can go real deep with this and, and make everybody uncomfortable. I'm not. 
I want you to apply those areas in your life where, where you don't allow God's rock to be demonstrated. If it's not demonstrated, that son and that daughter, they don't know which way to go. They'll never see the memorial of God, what God can do, and it puts them at a disadvantage. When they have you as an example, when they have your pastors, whenever they have teachers, elders, the church leadership, whenever they have that, whenever your people have that to look to, and there's a big monument of a testimony of the miraculous things that God's done, where he's shaped and manipulated the natural so that his will could be done, that gives, that spurs them on. But man, you gotta pick up a big rock and take that, you gotta, you gotta walk that out. I'm going to encourage you with one more thing. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, two more things. We're almost done. Y'all all know this. But I just want to encourage you with this in light of what we just read in Joshua and the obedience of the priesthood. Some of you think that you might not be fit for the presence of God. You're not. You're not. That's the miracle. That's the beauty of Jesus. He made you worthy to be a vessel that could hold all the promises of God. But he didn't just make you to hold the promise. He made you to demonstrate the promise, to make a way where there is no way. Amen? And, and, and he's, he's called you and he's made you worthy to do it. You have to accept it. This is not a radical thought. This is a normal thought. Look at verse 9. Look what Peter says. Beautiful fisherman. But you, look at your neighbor and say you, are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. <laughs> Thank you. But why are you that? Look what it says. Look at the next part. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, I know we know that part. I'm a chosen generation. A peculiar people, some translations might say. A radical people. People that wear tank tops, right? A people that get together and shout praises to God. A people, a peculiar people, meaning they're not weird and goofy. I mean, some of us are. And praise God. Praise God. Amen. But it's not about that. Peculiar because they go run after Goliaths with no armor. They go run after him and they kill him. They, actually, they knock him down and then they kill him. It's not enough. wasn't enough for David just to knock Goliath over. The beauty of that story is that he cut his head off. Right? That little extra that God asks you. That extra, extra that He asks you. It's not radical. See, I don't want to sit and marvel at God's glory. I don't want to only sit and... I want to demonstrate His glory. That's what He's called the church to do. See, the enemy loves when we just sit back and admire the power of God. Heck, I bet you the enemy sits back and admires the power of God as well. But see, you and I do something that that nothing else on earth can do, nothing else in creation can do. We, can, we house the Holy Spirit. And we demonstrate the Holy Spirit. But that's got to surpass your natural understanding. 
and you've got to believe that God's made you this vessel, and you've got to declare it. Amen? Amen. Last thing that I'm going to tell you. Being filled with the Spirit is not enough. Thought we were finished, huh? No, it's not. We're not. It's not enough. It's not enough just to see what Jesus did on the cross. It's not enough just to come down and be prayed for. It's not enough to get on your face. It's not enough to be filled with the Spirit. It's not enough even to demonstrate the Spirit in your life. It's still not enough. You're like, well, Justin, this is getting kind of depressing. Don't. Listen. It's not enough. Because God asks you to go further. See, this is not a radical thought at all. And he goes further. He asks you to go further because you, you have to have it in your life. You have to have that spurring on. Look real quick in 2 Timothy. And this is real beautiful. Look in 2 Timothy. And we're closing with this. Second uh, Timothy, verse 1. We'll start in 3. I'll give you all a break. Second Timothy 1, verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Boy, does that not sound like a father? Verse 5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith. Now listen, listen to this next part. Which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Sounds like some South Louisiana folks. <laughs> Grandma Lois, Mama Eunice, how are them? Them good? Oh, you know them good, right? That, them's good people, that's right. But you know, we've been talking about sons and men imparting those things and and i just and we know this i just encourage you the thing is is that there were no men in timothy's life it seems but there were some godly women right there was a godly grandmother and a godly mother who stood in that place where a godly grandfather obviously was not for one reason or another and a godly father that was not there and i know that there are there are women here tonight today and your husband, or, or it, it's, it, you're in that position. Don't look at that lightly. Impart that gift to the person, that, the, the son and daughter that is there. It won't go void. It won't return void. His ruach does not return void. Traditions of men do. But the ruach of God does not. The memorial is for Israel forever, right? The deeds of God are forever, what you impart is forever. And it's mamas and mamas, you do it. You do it. And watch what God does. Amen? Listen, I have verse 6. For this reason I remind you, and we read, read this to read this too. And I just, I, I want to encourage you for the rest of the time that we're here to set this precedent. For this reason I remind you, my Bible says fan into flame. How many of you have another translation that says, stir up the gifts, right? For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame or stir up the gifts of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Verse 7, for God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of what? And of, and of what? And of what? Right. 
And that is God's ruach. And see, it wasn't enough just that hands were laid on and that you prophesied once or twice or that you even spoke in tongues or that you laid hands on the sick. See, what you have to do, and this, is not, this shouldn't be a radical thought, but what you need to do in your life is look and say, man, I need to stir this up. Amen. I need to fan this into flame because the task at hand is daunting. What God requires of you to literally go at war with just a bayonet sometimes and knowing that you're going to go into death, knowing that, it's, that, that what you do might just propel the people behind you forward, it takes something that is absolutely beyond your understanding. And sometimes you've got to stir that up because what happens is your flesh has a tendency to, to say, well, I did that that one time or that happened that one time experience. I'm telling you, saints, it's an everyday experience. It's an every moment experience. God's ruach is all day, every day. You walk in it always. And you're like, well, that seems radical. It, it, let it be normal. Because that's what God has asked you to do. How many of you ever had gumbo? How many of you ever made gumbo? My mother-in-law makes an incredible gumbo. When we go to her house, it's a lot of... A lot of preparation, a lot of things go into it. Sausage, chicken. You got to do all this stuff. It's delicious. If you've had a, not had a good gumbo, you need to. All right? But anyway. No, that's right. But whenever I go to my, my mother-in-law, Debbie. I'm just going to say Debbie. When I go to Debbie's house, sometimes she makes seafood gumbo. Which, anyway, y'all stop talking about food so we can get out of here. Listen. It's sitting there whenever I walk in and it's ready. Get a bowl of rice. I earned this figure. I got it. I came honest. Get a bowl of rice, big bowl of rice, and I go up to it. And you know what I do? I take that ladle every time, every time I do this. It's all there. It's all there. The gumbo is there. It's not the stuff isn't in a separate pot. It's all there. It's a big pot. Like it's like a foot and a half tall. I got to take that ladle and I got to stir it up because all the good stuff is settled to the bottom, right? It's there. It's in you. You are that vessel. You are that ark that God's spirit resides in. You're that royal priesthood. You're the one there. But sometimes God's gifting that he's given you, it's settled to the bottom of your flesh and your understanding. And you've let your understanding rise to the surface and what God's given you sink to the bottom. And God said, you've got to stir it up. Stop waiting for Pastor Eric to come and stir it up in you. Stop, stop waiting for your pastors or, or somebody to have to force you. God's poured his spirit out and he said, you stir it up. You fan into flame what I've given you. You've got the gifting. It has to be demonstrated. It can't sit on the bottom of your fleshly thought. It's got to rise to the top, saints. It's the only thing that kills the bear. It's the only thing that sets the oceans apart. It's the only thing that makes the marshy land dry for you to walk on. I'm telling you, saints, uh, stir it up today. Stir it up tonight. We're going to stir it up at life-changing tomorrow. And we're going to go to our our places, wherever God has us planted, and we're going to stir it up. We're going to stir it up in our families We're going to stir it up in our marriages. We're going to stir it up in our parenting. We're going to stir it up in our relationships, saints. And I'm telling you, 
God will get us where he wants us to go. Amen. The enemy doesn't stand a chance when we understand that this is not radical. This is normal. Amen. Y'all stand up. Give the Lord a hand if you would. Wait here for a minute. Now that you're all on your feet, let's ask the Lord. To do something truly unique among us. Amen. Spencer, ask the Lord to do something unique among us. Just begin to pray. Y'all pray with Spencer. You can do it right there, Spence. Stand on your chair. Amen. Now let's take a seat for five more minutes. No, I, I, you got a big Bible, brother. I like it. I was thinking about discipleship and gumbo. The two are very similar things. You know, I don't eat gumbo when I'm away from home because I don't know what's in it. I also, when I come home, I don't eat gumbo because I do know what's in it. This is how most people treat discipleship can't disciple me. I don't know them. Okay. He can't disciple me. I do know him. By the way, gumbo was fantastic. So was discipleship. I was stirred by my brother. I, I've been stirred by him since he was 16 years was in the faith before I was. He's been a Barnabas in my life. He's got some of the deepest discernment of anybody I've ever known. God gave me a loud mouth, but he gave me friends with deep discernment. I thank God for Justin and Lynn. I, I need to put a couple verses on the screen. I am sorry about that. It's Psalm 114. First verse is three. You're going to love this, Pastor. This is what you were saying. And then we're going to throw the mic at Wade here in just a minute and go to lunch. 
you realize that this verse says that the sea looked and fled? That the Jordan turned back? The sea ran. Like you can walk over, but you're going to limp back, kind of run. Verse, verse 5. Go, go to verse 5. Check this out. Why was it? See that you fled. Do you know that the Bible asked that question? I mean, don't you love that the Bible can make a statement? The sea ran. It just got the H-E double hockey sticks out of there. Heck. And then the scripture can ask two verses later, why? And not just the sea, but the Jordan. Been done twice in the scripture. Both says it happened, then ask why. Check out the seventh verse. Tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool and the hard rock into springs of water. The point is, when the people of faith act in that faith, then the God who is over creation meets them and creation submits to the the creator and his people. Which takes me back to where Justin started. 1 Samuel 16. Did you notice something? Saul, bad king. Do you want to live in the kingdom of Saul? Most churches are exactly like it. One great man chosen for all of his greatness. It's never really God's choice, but whatever. Could there have been a better worship leader than David, you think? And yet Saul showed up and listened to the most anointed worship, the most anointed worship over and over and over. In fact, he wanted to hire it. But he was never actually changed by it. That's the church world. And that's why you can keep seeing for the last 30 years anointed people raised up and they become polluted with their popularity and then eventually... There's homosexuals on the stage, and the whole thing starts to fall apart. That is the music. That's the Christian music cycle, period, bar none. Anybody that doesn't think that's true has not studied the subject. Because we're happy being entertained by it, but we fail to be changed by it. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Which takes us to these crossing moments. Justin walked us through the Jordan crossing. You know that place is called Beth Bara, House of the Crossing? You know where John the Baptizer? Because he certainly wasn't Baptist. The best argument for him being Baptist, honestly, is that he did no miracles. But uh, I think it's better to say he's John the Immerser. So he, he goes out baptizing. Do you know where he did that? He did it at Bethbara. The Textus Receptus records that for us. He went to the very same thing that his forefathers had crossed. You know where Jesus was baptized? Very same place that his forefathers had crossed. This is a generational thing. We do have to fan into flame. But I, I just... The scripture that just stirs my soul the most that Justin shared in it, and I'm not going to let it go. He asked who could quote Hebrews 13, 8. 
and the Nigerian nightmare back there. Abin one bad Negro. Came right out with it. Now, I want you to get this. We can all say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you mean it when you say it, don't you? How did Jesus plan to change the world? Big media campaign? Did he go hire fake? I'm sorry, whatever. Did he, um, did he appeal to the masses by becoming as debased as they are? Did he find an acceptable package to make sure everybody would like him? He was thought to be a bastard. He wasn't, but he was thought to be. He was demeaned as being a carpenter. He was called a drunkard. He was called a friend of sinners. He was looked down on because he hung out with prostitutes. In other words, the religious people didn't like him. What was his plan to change the world? Why didn't he go into the emperor's throne room? Why didn't he go into the religious capital and submit to their leaders and explain what great men they were so that they could all get along on TBN and raise a lot of money? Why didn't he do it? Because his plan was to change the world through discipleship. He would raise up 12 who would lay down their lives for 70, who would lay down their lives for every nation in the world. His plan was discipleship. He said to go make disciples. He never said, go make believers. He never said anything like it. You know, when the Red Sea runs, when the Jordan runs, it's not when you believe God can do it. It's when you've been discipled by that belief to the point that you put your foot in it. Then it'll run. Hell has no fear of large congregations. My God, you can draw a crowd today of a hundred million views on YouTube just by dancing like an idiot to a Korean song. Gangnam style. Discipleship was his method then. It is his method now. And it will be his method tomorrow. He has not changed just because the church world has been shifted off of its axis. And calling something discipleship doesn't make it discipleship. Calling it a discipleship program does not make it biblical discipleship. We are going to figure out how to become actual Talmudim. Raise up Talmudim. And with every generation, they will get better than us. And the neat thing about it is the generation is not necessarily the lifetime of the man. In one man's lifetime, his Talmudim can be many generations. Amen.